Welcome to episode 51 of The Process. Be different. episode 51 of the process i am amante martin today we have dr misha dunbar on the podcast welcome to the podcast dr dunbar thank you could you tell the listeners where you're from so i am from tallahassee florida i currently reside in dallas texas um i've had a roundabout way of getting here after Living in Tallahassee, I went to school in Gainesville, Florida. Then I went, did my residency in Michigan, the University of Michigan. Then I worked at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And then now I'm down, back down south in Texas now. So, well, I did a tour of the SEC a little I bit, did. and then the Big Ten. Yep. <laughs> so, what was it like growing up in Tallahassee? So, I have to be honest, um, I actually moved to Tallahassee the last month before seventh grade ended. Uh, my family is actually from New York. So we moved from upstate New York, Syracuse, New York. Um, and so other than obviously the large weather differential and then the northern southern accents, I would say that um, they're kind of similar. So Syracuse is also another like college town. And then Tallahassee with FSU and FAMU and uh, TCC, but still like a college kind of feel, but it is like a small town feel. Um, my family moved to, at the time, it was more considered kind of like, I guess the suburbs, but now Tallahassee has grown so much. It just feels more like a city in general. But I think Tallahassee was a good place to kind of raise a family. And then obviously for college years, well, yeah, Tallahassee has changed a lot since uh, yes, significant. especially out by Childs. I mean, it's, yeah, it's crazy to see how much they've built up around there and like just how much stuff. Like when I was in high school, we had no options really for like lunch. We would be speeding down Thomasville Road like 60, 70 miles an hour just to get down <laughs> like Capital Circle to get some food and rush back. And like now these kids got all these food options around them. I'm like, they're so spoiled. Like, <laughs> hour lunch. I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's changed so much. So yeah. much. Um, when did you know you wanted to be a veterinarian? Was that something, was that always a goal of yours? 
Yeah, so actually, like my family has always been very uh, welcoming to pets. So, but mostly furry pets. So like dogs and cats. Um, we had fish before, but they didn't last too long. So we pretty much stuck with dogs and cats. So I've always <laughs> loved like dogs and cats. And so I, I really didn't pique my interest into veterinary medicine until my junior year in at Childs actually, because they had what's, I think they just call it an externship program where you could actually leave school and go shadow like a business. And I happened to choose our, our vet because two reasons. One, it was right around the corner from where I lived. And I mean, everyone kind of did the program just so they could leave school <laughs> anyway. So I picked some place that was close to home, that worst come to worst. If I got like let out early, I could just go home. But what ended up happening was I really enjoyed it. And um, it seemed that they really liked me. So it turned into me actually getting my first job there. And I started from the bottom. You know, I worked in the back in the kennels with just like walking dogs and cleaning up poop and feeding and, you know, what most people would think is like a really menial job. but. Um, because I developed the relationships up front with like the doctors and the techs, when there became an opening um, for a tech position, I actually got uh, moved right up, which most people actually had to work, you know, a couple of years before that kind of opportunity would present themselves. Mm -hmm. So for me, I guess because they saw like my passion and my desire to like learn more and I, I wasn't afraid to like go ask questions um they gave me that opportunity and it was great and that vet actually became one of my like early on mentors for getting into vet school and so i originally thought and the the plan i think they were trying to groom me to is you know go to school and then come back and work for them mm -hmm. but i changed my career path a little bit so so once you figured out you know veterinary medicine was a career that you wanted to pursue was uh uf your natural choice was that where you wanted to go yeah, so there was a couple of reasons for UF. So once I knew I wanted to go to vet school, back then I think there was about 28 accredited vet schools in the U.S. A state might have one, maybe two schools that offer veterinary medicine, but not every state even has those programs. And Florida happened to be one. So I figured if I went to school there, I'd have a better chance of getting in. And it was also good that uh, back then, and I think even still now, it's it's within like the top, I think 10 or 20 like ranked schools. And so that was also a nice draw. And then back then I had scholarships and then Florida Bright Futures, which I don't think they have that anymore. But basically to keep in-state tuition uh, with like the scholarships and all that, I ended up actually getting like paid to go to undergrad. So it was kind of a no brainer as far as undergrad going to Florida. And, and it just increased my chances for getting in when it came to vet school. Um, but I did apply to I think I, the standard application, you get like 10 uh, schools that you can apply to. Mm -hmm. And I believe I applied to either seven or 10 and I got into five, I got into my top five, which is pretty rare for uh, veterinary medicine. There's a lot of people that you'll hear, they, you know, tried years and haven't gotten in. Cause you have to remember, it's not like medical school where there's one on just about every corner. Um, there was really just limited space for people to get in. So felt like that was kind of a testament for like all the hard work that I put in and keeping up my good grades and being just like a holistic, well-rounded kind of applicant um, that I could actually have the option to choose which school I wanted to go to. 
and I decided to to keep it local and stay in Florida. So how was that transition moving from Tallahassee to Gainesville? Um, well, by that point, I was ready to get out of the house, so it wasn't <laughs> that bad. Um, but it's, again, like UF is another college town, pretty much U, UF, like the actual university is, the, well, back then especially, it, it was the town. That's another place that's uh, grown significantly since I've left the last time I was there. Cause my brother also went, so when I was back, and then I went to homecoming, I think, what, two years ago, 2018? But it was significantly different, and it was just amazing to see how much bigger it's grown as well. But I will say it opened my eyes, I guess, to like a greater diversity of people, um, being able to see more that we're not just monolithic white and black, because I feel like in Tallahassee, that's kind of like, you're like, oh, it's like black folks, white folks, right? Yeah. But like, it's a school, you realize there's so much culture and like, the pride that people had of like the Caribbean backgrounds or people from South Florida that spoke Spanish and um, like people that are from Africa. And I really wasn't exposed to that, you know, going to Childs in Tallahassee. So um, for me, I was amazed by that. And then really just, I feel like you do, you like find your place in your space when you're in college and like your crew. Um, and when, I think one of the things my mom always told me is like the crew that you run with in college ends up being lifelong friends and I feel like that's so true. Yeah, I totally agree. I want to ask, you know, what major hurdles did you have to overcome if, in terms of uh, academics uh, when you first got to UF? Yeah, so I mean, you're at UF now, but in the, like the graduate program. So I don't know how, how similar it is to undergrad as far as like class size. So one of the things is, you know, is UF is pretty large school. So um, being in, and I majored in animal science, which is not necessarily like a traditional track for a lot of people. So even though they were so big, I still might be, you know, one of two or three, you know, black people in a large lecture hall and room. And, you know, some of the types of students that were more into agricultural type studies were a little different. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was interesting. Um, being able to like not be afraid to be, you know, the only black person in a room and not being a, be afraid to kind of ask questions and, and, you know, talk to professors. Cause I do feel like a lot of times you, you just kind of fade to the back if you don't make yourself um, like visible really. And I felt like it almost is a select group of people too that try to run like the agricultural um, like clubs and stuff like that. So it's almost like if you don't know them or network your way to get in, it, it is definitely hard as well and not always as welcoming. And I didn't really have any, you know, African-American figures in my field to really look up to at the time. Um, and, you know, it seemed like some opportunities were slim picking compared to like some of the other counterparts that I was saying. So um, you really had to be, I guess I just really had to be kind of like a self promoter, um, which is hard, right? Because most people want mentors. So I got assigned a mentor that I think never even reached out to me or I never even spoke to, like through, wow. which was disappointing. Um, and then my parents were both, um, they're more like the artsy fartsy, they're journalism communication type field. So math and science was definitely not their forte. So I got no help there. Um, <laughs> so it was really just um, kind of like me 
being on my own really for undergrad. And then once I got to vet school, kind of the same thing over again. There was only three three black girls in, in my class and we were the only three. And we dealt with, you know, people confusing us literally up until, I remember this, two weeks before graduation, after four years of being in the same exact class every single day with the same people. And it's kind of like, that is ridiculous. Um, and dealing with sly comments of people, I remember um, I had a actually recent conversation with a classmate that reached out, you know, to apologize for, you know, how he's treated people in the past and some of the comments he he made but I remember and this stuck with me um in the beginning he basically made a comment that the only reason why I was there was to fill a quota and because of affirmative action like we had to have at least one black person in the class I just thought that was crazy because I had worked so hard to get to where I was and like I said you know I, I made straight A's through high school I made almost straight A's through undergrad, <laughs> quite. Um, but you know, I graduated with honors all the way through. I ended up graduating that school with honors and all that stuff. Like I worked hard, so that made and that made me mad. And yeah. um, but I also used that to be my motivation to like kind of keep going. And like I guess one other obstacle I would say is it that field is as i admit, alluded to in like my post on ig is it's predominantly white right there's literally less than three percent of african-american veterinarians in the united states today like i think the the most recent number that i saw was like 2.1 or something like that but it was from 2017 or 2018 so maybe it's increased some think about it that is that is a very small number comparative to how many professionals are in this field and so you do get you know the people that are very stuck in their ways and have ideas of what they want their doctor to look like right so um i do get that a lot where i'm either like oh i was based off your name um where like misha could go either way um and then my last name dunbar i guess someone said it was like irish or something like that so i've literally had that before where once i meet the person after i had been talking to them maybe through emails or something they're like oh like i didn't realize that you were black like you know but yeah or in in vet school um when i did i actually for a little bit like a little known fact i wanted to be a cow vet and I did an externship, it was a paid externship to go to like rural Williston, which is outside of Gainesville. And I worked with a, like a mixed animal practice and the, that vet did like house calls. And this is another one that really stuck out with me and helped motivate me to, to go was um, when we got there, we were looking at their cows and working with them. And one of them like pulled the vet to the side and basically was like asking who I was and like thought I was just like his little help or something like that. And, and thankfully he stood up for me and was like, no, she's a vet student. Um, she's about to graduate and like all this stuff. And they had the nerve to say like, oh, wow, you speak so well. Or what, like a human being? I'm, I'm real confused on that. So that, that made me realize like, even though I personally have the drive and the ability to do it, like especially in small town, little rural countries they just weren't ready for someone like me to come take over and do like especially dairy herd um that stuff is definitely like good old boys they're kind of already have who's gonna do what and take over and it's really hard to break into so i switched my field completely 
as far as my focus in veterinary medicine? My first internship was with Monsanto in uh, Iowa, in Grinnell, Iowa. And I just remember being the only black guy in the town. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, the whole town? In the whole town. And I was over like 1,200 acres of corn and, you know, communicating with different farmers and things. And so, yeah, I, it's an isolating feeling. Um, and so I want to know, I want to know, how did you turn like their ignorance into your motivation? You know, how did you not let that you know, stop you from your goal? Because um, it, it can't feel isolating. You know what I mean? It can't feel... Um, like you said, you worked so hard, and when you heard those comments, you were kind of taken back. So I've always been one of those of like, I'm gonna prove you wrong. So like, I just take those and kind of internalize it and use that as my grind to like keep it going because it's like no one's gonna tell me what I'm capable of or what I can do. Um, so it, if anyone's gonna determine what I can and can't do, that's gonna be myself, not somebody else. Um, so I really just use that as kind of a motivating factor. And just realizing that I worked so hard already to get there. So I'm not gonna let someone's comments, you know, tear down everything that I had already done. And also, I mean, it sounds kind of sad, but I'm just like, uh, those people are stuck in their little small towns, right? Like we get to go back to, you know, our city and realize there's so much more, more to the world. So I kind of feel bad for them at the end of the day yeah. uh, for their closed-minded views. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I want to ask, you know, for those who are um, interested in pursuing a career in veterinary medicine, you know, what advice would you give them uh, in terms of applying for schools and, and getting through vet school? Yeah, so I would say definitely in preparation for it, it's really important, obviously, to, you know, study hard and make sure that you keep good grades. But the biggest thing is to remember that like, that can't be your only claim to fame. Like you have to be a well-rounded holistic person. Like just saying that you love animals and making straight A's is not enough because I mean, there's a lot of people that fit that though. So you have to be able to be able to set yourself apart. And some of the things that you can do to do that is, you know, start volunteering early. If you can get a job in like an animal clinic or animal shelter early, um, even experience at like pet smart, you know, can count because you do have to have experience um, even for your application. So the earlier you can go ahead and get started on that, that's going to help you kind of again, just being your own advocate for things. If you feel like you aren't receiving the mentorship, the guidance, um, the opportunities, you know, you're having a hard time. Sometimes you have to one, speak up, because some people, I don't know, it's weird, I've, I've done that before, I spoke up and they were like, oh, I didn't realize you needed help or you needed this, which I don't understand why. They would think some other somebody else does over you, but yeah, like sometimes you just have to speak up and be your own advocate. And one of the things that I'm also big on is, you know, because we didn't have these people to look up to as we were coming up, it's really important to make sure when you make it, you reach back and you mentor others, because um, that is something that we desperately need just networking, not being afraid to like network. Um, Cause you'll be surprised that that networking that you might've done, you know, like a year or two ahead of time might lead to a job two years, three years down the line. Um, so networking and like definitely not burning bridges with people. So once you graduated from uh, the University of Florida um, and you became Dr. Dunbar, you know, mm -hmm. what was the, it like, you know, working in the field um, for your first employer? 
So after I graduated UF though, I, I did, I went and did a, re- a three-year residency. Um, so, which is a residency is like a combo of, you know, working kind of like your PhD, kind of combo of working, still training. Um, but, you know, we still are doctors at that point and we're functioning as, as independent doctors. Um, but from my residency onto my first job and now onto my second job, I'm still the only black person. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the only person, person of color in the, in the, I guess the higher, um, like management roles, managerial roles. So supervisory roles. So it does still get uh, a little bit difficult because people look to you to be kind of like the spokesperson for everything black, which I mean, I don't really mind. I'm not a sensitive person, so I am open to have, um, having like conversations with people, but I do represent like the diversity for a lot of uh, organizations or institutions. And that does get exhausting after a while. Um, So, one of the things is like just really important to stay grounded and make sure that you have your like your people um within work is really important because um i'm one i'm just a people person in general so i'm one of those people where i like feed off of the energy of people and i like to be around people and i like work to be fun and not take it too serious so just being able to find people that align with like your personality, it doesn't matter, you know, their background or their color or anything like that, but you can find kind of like a support within in work that definitely helps. Um, because otherwise, same kind of thing, it, it does get isolating if you kind of allow yourself to just be singled out or siloed away from everybody else. Mm-hmm. But how was that, how was that transition from, uh, you have to, where'd you go, University of Minnesota? University of, uh, University of Michigan. So that's already a difference in itself too, coming from the South to like the Midwest. Um, it's just, it's definitely a little different in just how people function. Um, and so I would say definitely passive aggressiveness is a thing in the Midwest. I mean, you'll hear, especially in Minnesota, you'll, it's a term called Minnesota nice. <laughs> And so uh, it's when people are like, you know, passive aggressive and nice, nasty type thing. And you definitely see that in the workplace. Um, But what was really nice about my first job in Minnesota was there were, I was, I was recruited there. And so I already had two people that were from my residency. They were older in residency, but we had crossed over at some point. So it was kind of like walking into a new job with like a built-in already kind of like friend family kind of thing. So that that helped because they helped to like kind of mentor me, guide me into. And so it was an easier transition for a first job. Mm-hmm. So that was helpful. You know, how did the, the workload you know, was it comparable in terms of what you learned in school to once you were kind of on your own and kind of an independent doctor? Oh yeah, okay, so so the field that I went into, my specialty is laboratory animal medicine. And so it's kind of a conglomerate of pretty much all of the disciplines within veterinary medicine. So just like human medicine, veterinary medicine can split into like cardiology, oncology, internal medicine, like all of those things. So lab animal medicine is kind of a conglomeration of all those together, plus um, like research relating to mostly things that will benefit like human medicine. So 
it's uh, studying like the pathogenesis behind a disease or studying a novel therapeutic for something or a novel uh, surgical technique, stuff like that. And so the thing is, a lot of the species that we work with, we actually don't learn about in veterinary school. Um, so in vet school, you pretty much focus on like the big four, which are like dogs, cats, ruminants, which includes like sheep, cows, um, and goats, and then some pigs and a little bit on chickens, right? So when you start working with rodents and uh, other like small pets, uh, pocket pets that you're not used to really learning, it's a it's a learning curve, first of all. So that's why the residency was really important because you got to, it's kind of like on the job training, like on the job, you're learning stuff. What's interesting too, is they still kind of throw you in, in the fire. So the learning curve is exponential, especially for um, in the residency. Definitely an experience. So by the time you get your first job though, you are ready to just jump in because you've seen so much and done so much that when once you actually get your job, it, it almost feels like a little easier to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you get to, uh, your time is more, you can dedicate your time to what you need to do. Or as a resident, you're kind of like told what to do, so. What do you think helped you with, with that, that learning curve, that steep learning curve? veterinary medicine to your career so in vet school too you get really good at because um, you do do clinics at some point different schools are different as far as how they structure their clinics um, Florida was cool because there was two separate times that they did um, clinic rotations so one was during our sophomore year or towards the end of our sophomore year and then we did it for eight months and then back again our senior year um which was nice because you got to go back into clinics right before you're obviously leaving to go get a job and so that is to simulate like if you were actually working you know in a clinic and so you get to learn a lot on the fly because um, you have to remember when it's human medicine, there is one body system that you learn. When it's veterinary medicine, you have to learn all these different species and all the different things in between, right? And so it's it's virtually impossible for everyone to know everything about everything at all times. So you do um, get really good with, you know, looking up information on the fly and then also extrapolating kind of information and using what you know um, from one species to another, and then you know, the, remembering the differences between um, and working that way. So I think you definitely develop those skills and all the skills that you need and tools that you need in vet school um, to make you successful once you actually get into the real working experience. Wow. So, so what does the future hold for Dr. Dunbar? I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I love my field, like I absolutely love what I do um, because it's everyday learning basically. Um, I work with some of the most interesting human um, scientists and uh, human med medical doctors and surgeons and just seeing that what we're doing, so being the veterinary care of the animals used in research, um, we are ensuring the welfare of those animals and ensuring that 
while they are, you know, being used in these studies that they, for all intents and purposes, at least live the best life that they possibly can. Um, and just knowing that the results of some of the things that people are studying, some of the basic sciences actually go towards betterment of humans and then also animals too, because there, there are things uh, that people are studying that are helping animals as well. But just knowing that it's having a greater impact on society and potentially the world. Like, so that just excites me knowing that, you know, I'm part of that. Um, you know, the question always becomes like, do you want to keep, you know, moving up and becoming like a director of a program or something someday? And like, uh, I don't know if I want to do all that. So I like <laughs> clinical medicine. I like being able to practice uh, medicine. And sometimes once you get too high up, you get so removed from that kind of stuff. But um, I'm keeping my options open and we'll just see where I go. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so looking back over your, you know, academic career and your life so far, you know, what advice would you give your younger self? Keep the faith knowing that God has plans for you, right? Even if you don't see it, he's going to be able to do and provide way more for you than you're able to do yourself. And so just really actually believing that and then living and walking in that belief um, because looking back there really are so many things that have happened in my life um, and if you just want to you know pinpoint it straight to just academics and career wise like something as simple as passing a test that you know you didn't study you know that great for and you thought you were going to fail it and then you actually end up getting an A or you know for me, like even, you know, picking the schools that I wanted to go to in my residencies and actually getting into like the top ones and the same thing with the jobs, like everything just almost coming too easy. It seems weird. And I'm like, oh, that's not my doing, that's God's doing. So I know that I would not have been able to do it without him. So just keeping, um, you know, staying prayed up and keeping the faith and asking that my will align with his. Um, and one of the my favorite verses that I always reflect on is Jeremiah 29, 11, where he says, you know, I know the plans that I have for you and it's to prosper and not to harm you, but to give you a hope in the future. And I think that is something that if you dwell on and keep that close to your heart, at least for me, it, my younger self, that's something that definitely got me through. So I would say that and just not, don't take life so seriously. <laughs> <laughs> have fun remember to have fun I know especially when you get into these um really competitive schools and positions and stuff people do get a little cutthroat um so just remembering that there's there's more to life than that and there's there's going to be other opportunities and other things to do also kind of along those lines uh this this podcast is called the process podcast um I want to know what does trusting the process mean to you God's gonna look out for you and trusting, I guess, trusting the process and trusting your ability within the process as well. Um, because if you don't believe in yourself, then it's going to be hard to convince others to believe in you too. So, um, I just want to thank you just for taking time out to share your story on the podcast. Uh, do you have any lasting words that you want to leave with the listeners? Be great. Be proud. <laughs> be you. Don't be afraid to just be different, you know? Um, people didn't expect me to be a veterinarian. They didn't expect me to be a doctor or all these things, but it's not about what other people expect of you. It's kind of like what you expect of yourself. But yeah, just remembering to be your own, your, your best self. You have to be your own cheerleader sometimes. And you might not always be able to have someone else 
be there to support and guide you and just kind of remember who you are and who you're whose you are and um to help that guide you through awesome where could the listeners you know find you to connect maybe pursuing a similar career and want to reach out maybe for mentorship or just to you know give their feedback on your episode oh yeah so um if anyone is interested in mentorship in veterinary medicine um you can email me at my email so it's misha m-i-s-h-a dot dunbar d-u-n-b-a-r at ut southwestern dot edu i respond to all my emails so i'll email back this episode was brought to you by overcome achieve clothing allow what you have overcome to fuel the flame of persistence as you face and conquer your next challenge wear your truth overcome I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through and not to only broadcast these things but for it to inspire change.